Hello, everyone. Welcome to Covenants, co-sponsored by the Wordhouse Incorporated Focus Consultation Services, Covenant Specialized Pastoral Care Services, Christian Counseling Ministry. My name is Dr. Michael David Clay, and with me, Carolyn Barnett. Hi, Carolyn. Hello. Good morning. Carolyn, you know, uh, for me, I want to say this properly. For me, virtue uh, isn't necessarily gender-specific. But when I do think about virtue, I I can't help but remember, (laughs) what is it, Proverbs 31? Is that it? The virtuous woman. And so I always kind of think of it within the context of gender. Uh, But I think that you're a pretty virtuous person, don't you think? I try to be. I, I think you are. I, I know that that's a little bit uncomfortable, maybe, to have to, uh, you know, acknowledge that yourself, or it could come across as a bit. I don't know. Prideful. I know me better than you know me, so I. Well, I, you know, uh, virtuous is something I strive to attain to. We'll put it that way. That's perfect because that's exactly what I thought the program should be about today. I, uh, I don't know that I. I, I do know this. That I'm married to Jesus because I'm his bride. Or at least when he comes back and gets me, right? And I'm still going through the purification stuff, the sanctification mm-hmm. as a guy, as a guy. But but I don't think virtue certainly is gender no. specific. And and if there was anything to be said about the virtuous road with Proverbs 31, it should be said about men in general and me specifically. But I don't know that we need to go around virtue signaling. I never heard that phrase until probably the last maybe two, three, four years. Usually it's in a negative context. But the best that I could probably do to operationally define what I mean by virtue signaling, in case our listeners may have never heard that phrase, or maybe they have, but they never really gave much thought to it, I usually take when somebody uses the term or the phrase virtue signaling, I usually take it that that somebody is trying to Tell everybody they're virtuous. And I don't think it's gender specific. I don't think it's race specific. I think it's interesting, though, that we all want to be virtuous. <laughs> I think just the, the notion that somehow there is something out there that says we should be virtuous is probably noteworthy, right? Because it means that there's some God consciousness or conscience and God consciousness or at least some awareness that there's an ideal as to what we should be or how we should treat one another or act in context each other, ourselves, but certainly socially with each other. But people who virtue signal oftentimes go over the top. I don't know that they're always trying to say that in such a way that they think that they would then seem to suggest that they're thinking they're actually that, right? Uh, or they just say it with some great aspirational sort of dimension to it. Uh, but that's why what, when I ask you the question about you being virtuous, you were very humble, very modest. Well, I wanted to say thank you for that, but I kind of put that in the category. I don't know that I hear so many people say virtue signaling is a humble brag. You've heard that before. Mm. I kind of put that in the same category. Is that sort of the same category, like what you're referring to? Well, I I think that there is... Like I'm trying to achieve something. I I want you to know it. I think there is certainly a right way to demonstrate your virtue. 
Uh, and that is obviously for us as Christians, biblically speaking, it's Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think there is the, all the remainder of the ways that people try to show their virtue. And I don't think showing virtue is bad, right? Obviously, it's not a bad thing. But I'm kind of going through my news feed on my cell phone, which I do when I'm really bored. And I don't like to go there much because I really am not quite satisfied when I get there. I I don't find the articles I'm looking for, so I'm kind of dissatisfied on that dimension. Uh, Interests me, those kind of things. And then so many of them are slanted or opinionated. In this particular case, there was a bunch of those that I kind of construed as, and there was like a lot of them, as virtue signaling. But it was going along the lines of gaslighting, Mm. narcissism, control, manipulation, whether or not you're being abused. Uh, And I think awareness, certainly for what we do to help people, I think awareness is crucial. That's why we do a large measure of why we do the broadcast slash podcast. Mm is awareness. Uh, And even if we're just kind of asking people to think about things, that's awareness, right? Right. At least their attention is going towards something. But I began to recognize that all of these things had a little bit, not only of an angle of virtue, but they were actually pointing to others and saying, you're not. (laughs) And then I got to thinking, well, how virtuous are they? You know, it's real easy to point a finger and say, well, you're a gaslighter. Or it's real easy to say, you're a narcissist. Mm-hmm. Or, heaven forbid, these are like people who really don't give much in the way of credential. Any experience necessarily with behavioral health or any knowledge of a diagnosis. That you're a sociopath. Five ways to know you're dating a sociopath or that your significant other is a gaslighter or gaslighting. And I got to thinking, it is so easy just to point the finger at somebody else and say, you're the problem. Mm-hmm. You're the problem. That's a lot of what I see in society today. It's so easy to look at somebody else, but I mean, that goes back to that verse, you know, the plank in your own eye that we don't really want to turn the mirror on ourselves, that awareness. We talked about uh, ignorance is bliss last week. Sometimes uh, people genuinely don't know. And I found myself in that kind of uh, situation one time where I just genuinely didn't know. And then sometimes people don't want to know. And I've put myself in that category at times. But sometimes, you know, it's a lot easier to look on the other side than it is to to look at the mirror. So that forces us to become aware, which sometimes we don't want to become aware because that forces us to take responsibility and, and what do we do with that? So once we know, you know, there's something something going on with us, not just our mate or our spouse being a sociopath, but you know, is there something that we need to address? And Sometimes we don't want to address that, or we don't want to think that we would be in that category, lest we judge people and put them in a box. Uh, yes. <laughs> Emphatically, yes. Because that's what we do. Yeah. I'm going to read something to you, and then I'm going to see if you might be able to speculate. Okay. Which is a little bit better. I'm good at speculation. A little bit better than guessing, right? <laughs> Just ask him. <laughs> 
And at the evening sacrifice, I arose up from my heaviness, and having ripped my garment and my mantle, I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands unto the Lord my God, and said, Oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to thee, my God. For our iniquities are increased over our head, and our trespasses grown up unto the heavens. Since the days of our fathers have we been in a great trespass unto this day, and for our iniquities have we, our kings and our priests, been delivered in the hands of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, and to a spoil, and to confusion of face, as it is this day. And now for a little space, grace hath been shewed from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a nail in his holy place that our God may lighten our eyes, give us a little reviving in our bondage. For we were bondmen, yet our God hath not forsaken us in our bondage, but hath extended mercy unto us in the sight of the kings of Persia to give us a reviving, to set up the house of our God and to repair the desolations thereof, and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. And now, O God, O our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken thy commandments, which thou hast commanded by thy servants, thy prophets, saying, The land under which ye go to possess it is an unclean land with the filthiness of the people of the lands, with their abominations, which have filled it from one end to another with their uncleanness. Now, I know this is long. <laughs> but... I think that I've captured, and it could continue a bit more. I, I don't know that we have the time on the broadcast. I wish I could read it all. That's why I say that. Does that, uh, in your speculation, does that seem to have any sort of application to sort of, as you said, the world we're living in today? Well, absolutely. You know, we look around, we can see he talked about, you know, what they were doing and how they <clears throat> turned things into abomination. Excuse me. And things look bleak and horrible, but the writer was, which I'm speculating, who wrote that. Um. Well, that was the, that was also the speculation part, but I thought I'd let you off the hook a bit. Uh, I would have had read about the king of Persia. Yeah, I know that yeah. was a. That I was thought a it was a little bit of a clue. A little hint there, and I was like, hmm. So I, uh, I. I won't give you my speculation because I don't want to be wrong on the air. But <laughs> no, I could be wrong on the air, and that would show my, um, my humanity. My, yeah. You would you would not be so my virtuous. Virtue, my virtual signaling. Yeah, yeah. signaling. <laughs> but he speculates on how you know how it's going to go down. You know, is it, are we all going to be you know, lest we be destroyed? Um, and then you come and save us, oh God. He cries out uh, for God's help and mercy. So. You know, we, we think things are one way, we look around, we see all the bad, but at least the writer acknowledges that God is there and in control, but he sounds a lot like we do today, we are today. We, we look around, we see the negative, we re and then he mentioned our sins, so it you know, wasn't like he was totally saying, you know, we haven't done anything wrong. But uh, we cry out to God for help because we found ourselves in this mess. Now they want to restore, I'm assuming, the temple. So, you know, they, uh, they look around and see all this mess. And then they cry out, oh God. It reminds me of the Israelites. You know, we got in this mess. Now we're going to cry out to God. But I see a different tone. So I'm speculating well, this is more uh, humble prayer. This is more genuine prayer. It's true virtue signal. Because <laughs> the, the, the person who's doing the prayer 
is not necessarily putting the virtue upon themselves. They're right. putting the virtue upon God. Yeah, they're crying out I can't God resist, Carolyn. Now, yeah. therefore, give not your daughters unto their sons, neither <laughs> take Nehemiah? their... No, 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 no. Oh. Well, you didn't have to make it sound like it was a horrible kid. Well, I mean, yes, I'm going to give you a little <laughs> no, bit. No, no, no. Give you more clues. Okay, thank you. <laughs> now, therefore, give not your daughters unto their sons, neither take their daughters unto your sons, nor seek their peace or their wealth forever, that ye may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. And after all that has come up upon us for our evil deeds and for our great trespass, seeing that thou art our God, has punished us less than our iniquities deserves, deserve, and has given us such deliverance as this, should we again break thy commandments and join in affinity with the people of these abominations? Wouldest not thou be angry with us till thou hast consumed us, so that there should be no remnant nor escaping? O Lord God of Israel, thou art righteous, for we remain yet escaped, and it is this day, behold, we are before thee in our trespasses, for we cannot stand before thee because of this. Now, now again, the uh, author, the speaker, was not necessarily virtue signaling. I think he could have been virtue signaling, but he wasn't virtue signaling, mm -hmm. because again, he was giving all the virtue to God. Right. But he did know where virtue originates from, and that's what I mentioned earlier. You know, I think it's interesting to at least acknowledge that we're all seeking it. But I suppose now's a good time to just also acknowledge nobody really seems anymore these days, at least the majority, don't know where to go find it. And it's pretty simple if you follow, yeah, that formula. And that is, you seek out God. You seek out a relationship with Him. And certainly, if He's told you to do something or not do something, then you try to abide in what He's told you to do. And with that, then at least demonstrate your desire to have a relationship with Him that is predicated upon such things as virtue. Mm -hmm. So, it wasn't Nehemiah. That's a little too far ahead. i got to rewind. <laughs> but it was Ezra. Ah. And as much as it was Ezra, it was on the heels of certainly the Babylonian captivity yes. or exile. And with that, you're right, they were uh, reestablishing or being mm -hmm. given passage or access back to the land. Uh, as much as I understand any of that, and, and I'm not a, either political scientist or historian or someone who would otherwise know anything outside of the context of the Bible, and I laugh only because sometimes I'm not even entirely sure what I say context of the Bible because I try to understand it, but it gets confusing. Mm -hmm. But the best that I could probably say is, though, as much it was wise... Israelites were allowed to stay in the land because the land needed some occupation. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, and I think they even had a bit of political rule, I guess, to keep the order. Mm -hmm. But they really weren't allowed to do much in the way of anything that would be seen as, this is another one of those words that's commonly used today, sedition or insurrection. It's <laughs> fabulous. Protest. Well, I guess, yeah, I think you're right. Probably even protest. So they have found themselves because of this pattern of sin. You acknowledged a few moments ago, uh, historically. Uh, they have found themselves in trouble. Mm -hmm. Because, I'm going to say this, the Bible doesn't say it this way, but they had a history of being troublemakers. Mm -hmm. At least perceived as such to everybody around them. 
Now, now I'm okay with being the troublemaker. I don't know that I necessarily emulate or want to be like a troublemaker, but I understand that sometimes you got to make waves or sometimes being who you are is going to create trouble. And with that, not everything is going to be sort of peaceable and calm and, and you know, what we otherwise might even think of as that virtuous sort of dimension. But if you're going to do it, do it out of true virtue, do it for a good cause, and don't be a hypocrite. Because the minute you get into hypocrisy, you open yourselves up, yourself up, ourselves up, to being, I guess, labeled nothing more than a troublemaker. I mean, if you're not going to live by the standard, then why would anybody else live by the standard or would recognize you as some sort of an icon or some sort of... <laughs> you know, uh, example of Jesus in a situation if you're not going to, to do what Jesus told you to do. God's, Jesus showed you to do, but God told you to do. I, uh, I'm kind of laughing because you have no idea. Uh, I don't believe you watch this um, show that's going on right now about the life of Jesus. And it's pretty popular. And it's the number one crowdfunded program ever because the people raise the money for this. There's a big studio behind it. But one of their taglines, and it's been highly, um, it's just been one of their top rated sellers and their little store, you know, they sell merch to sort of raise money for these episodes. And that was part of their promo. And even, even Jesus, when you said that, I was like, that's Jesus. He was leading the disciples, and he was in front when that logo kind of came on. Then they made a shirt, and it says, here comes trouble. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was like, hmm. So, but to your credit, you said, unless you're Jesus, you know, and, I, and I, I, you can't help but picture it, you know, after I've seen that episode of him coming in and just leading them and like, you know, there they were, their band of misfits, troublemakers, but yet... It's Jesus and the disciples. Well, Ezra certainly mentioned God's anger. He didn't use the word wrath, but that probably usually goes in the Old Testament with anger and even New Testament. And there is such a thing as righteous indignation. And God, of course, is the purveyor. He's the only one that can really rightly measure out what he's going to be angry about, what's right, what's wrong, righteousness, in that way we're talking about it. But I do think, though, even as much Ezra was giving passage or given passage to come back to the land uh, that God, the promised land that God had promised to Israel, uh, he did so after God moved upon his heart to do so, and then also moved upon the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia. Uh, because out of nowhere, Cyrus, king of Persia, said, okay, go back. Well, it was out of nowhere. It's seemingly right, right, so on the surface. It was God. God was moving it. Uh, moving his hands, moving the whole situation, mm -hmm. it, the situation. Uh, interestingly enough, too, uh, Babylon is part of the land of the Chaldeans. I mean, it is, or Chaldean, however you would want to pronounce it. But it's the same place that Abraham came from. So this is not necessarily a group of people that was completely unknown to either Israel or didn't know Israel or the Jewish people. Uh, because I think, as I should take that, either they were really close neighbors or they were kin. <laughs> so, so this idea that too, you know, even with Nebuchadnezzar, 
You know, he had conversations with God. So it's not like that wasn't there. The idea, though, that I'm trying to capture is that God set all this up. Reset all this. And since we're not virtuous, I guess we just have to accept that our humanity, we're always going to kind of go through this cycle. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't like it. Uh, unless we are able to really understand the importance of following the commandments and being like Jesus. Mm -hmm. But as the cycle would unfold, this was a particular occurrence where God said, okay, just as Ezra was praying, I'll forgive you, I'll show you grace and mercy. Mm -hmm. But no sooner had they been given that decree that they could go back and reestablish or build the temple, did they begin to fall apart. Ezra prepared his heart. I believe he was sincere and genuine. Mm -hmm. And I believe he, as a priest, I believe he's a priest, uh, was able to bring the word of God to the people and did so. And instituted a lot of all those things that Moses had set into place, or God had used Moses to set into place. But they were already falling back into apostasy. Doesn't and what kind long. of virtue signaling is that? Or what kind of signal of virtue is that? It doesn't take long. It doesn't take long. I mean, honestly, <laughs> if we're going to be honest with our viewers, how many times have we set out... Okay, God, you have this reckoning with God and this, you know, uh, time when we um, come back and, you know, like the Israelites and, and we're restored. And then two days later, we find ourselves in the same predicament. Now, I hope that's not the case. I don't want that to be the case. But I'd be lying if I didn't say sometimes that hasn't happened. So, lest we point our fingers at them... I feel like we can fall into the same trap. Sure. And that's exactly why we go there. I, I don't know. No one's come to me and said, why do you start in the Old Testament so much? Or why do you go to the Old Testament so much? And I have expressed some of the reasons why. Because I am an Old Testament guy. And there's all kinds of other things, reasons that go with that reason. Uh, why I believe the Old Testament is, is still active. Part of our relationship with God. Part of our salvation. But... But I go to the Old Testament too because it's the best example of us. That's why I ask you, does that sound familiar with today? Because it doesn't change. And again, I'm not sure I'm capturing it well. But it just keeps cycling. Mm -hmm. It keeps cycling. It keeps cycling until Jesus comes. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if there'll be eternally that <laughs> recycle. Because I'm not sure that humans are going to be around eternally. Uh, I know that as soul and spirit, and, and maybe that's it too. You know, this is that idea of a remnant that was given permission to go back into the promised land and to reestablish the ordinances of God until Jesus does come a second time, as much as within the human dimension. Yes, there'll always be a remnant. Mm -hmm. God's Holy Spirit never goes away. It is eternal, and, and that's the source of our virtue, and we've discussed that in previous broadcasts slash podcasts about the virtuous woman. It was Bathsheba, son of Solomon, to marry not only a woman who's virtuous, but virtue. She was just trying to say, recognize the virtue. Marry the Holy Spirit, uh, who is really as much part of our love for Christ or is the basis of our love for Christ as anything would be. And I guess as part of, part of the marriage 
You know, if I love my wife, then I love her in Holy Spirit dimensions. I don't love her out of my flesh. Otherwise, we would never love each other. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really the message that I want to kind of offer, at least for our listeners to kind of consider. If you don't really know Jesus and you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, everything you do then is going to be, as I said earlier, virtue signaling. Mm -hmm. Because the virtue that we have is a desire to marry Jesus. The virtue that we possess, if God's given us any in, in terms of spirit, and His Spirit is in us, but the Spirit seeks out spirit. The Spirit in us wants to be married to Jesus. The Spirit in us doesn't want to go around pretending like we're something that we're not, but is able to recognize when we're not and to then subject ourselves open ourselves up to, ask so that we might receive then His love in this way so that He then might restore us as soon as possible. <laughs> Why delay? Do it today. Right. And that, Sound like I could sell something, doesn't it? Well, and that <clears throat> reminds me, excuse me, of the fact that there is a God. You know, people that do not believe in God or believe that there's anything after this life. Where does that come from? Our desire, where's virtue signaling come from? You know, if we, if we're trying to appear good or virtuous, why would we do that? Where does that come from? And so people that, you know, don't believe in, in a Holy Spirit or God, I, I question them. Okay, so where does this, when we know, you know, to murder somebody is wrong, you know, or that's bad, maybe not even wrong, but just, you know, those things that are just, that come natural, where do you think that comes from? I just want to ask them. Well, all of those articles that I was reading on my newsfeed or mm -hmm. surveying on my newsfeed, that's all of us. If we don't know Jesus, that's all of us even when we know Jesus. It isn't that I'm not a sociopath or capable of being a sociopath. It isn't that I'm not a gaslighter or capable of being a gaslighter. I'm both. The only thing that keeps me from being a gaslighter or keeps me from being the world's worst sociopath or gaslighter is Jesus. Yes. Because my human nature, you know, and you could say, it, well, Dave, I'm glad you told us all that. Because now we're not going to listen at all to anything that you say. Because you're obviously, <laughs> obviously you're a gaslighter, a sociopath, you're a manipulator, you're a narcissist. No, that's the human nature. But I have to start with that as a premise. Because then I'll get into, well, you're a worse one than me. Right. You know, and then it's a little further along and I'll get to that. Well, you know, maybe you're just not only a worse one than me, maybe you're the one mm -hmm. and I'm not. Mm -hmm. And as long as I don't have that, keep that. Denial. Yeah, well, if I live in the denial, if I don't keep that light upon it as we're describing it, I'm going to be those things. It's not a question of mm -hmm. I am those things. Now that's, I don't know, how does that sound? I can only imagine that there's a lot of people who are going to say, well then, why do I want to talk with you? Why are you on the radio? Why are you on a Christian radio station saying all this stuff? They're going to throw rocks at me, stone me. Well, send help. No. <laughs> well, I am going to ask you a question and I don't want to get too, uh, you know, 
there can be some doctrinal things in here, but I'm I'm going to ask you and, and help you unpack that if you will. So, how do you reconcile to that, to being all those things that you just said, and having the new heart that the scripture says that we receive when we receive Jesus. Well, I do it the exact same way Ezra did. Now, I do it in the name of Jesus. Mm -hmm. I do it now because of my relationship with Christ and I've accepted Him as Lord and Savior and He lives in me. Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit has more prominence, preeminence, power over me. Mm -hmm. I, I am not beyond saving mm -hmm. because I am accepting. Right. But the moment that I accept Jesus as Lord and Savior and, and identify Him as righteousness, the mm -hmm. best that any human could ever be or manifest that in any mm -hmm. sort of dimension, mm -hmm. I'm really doing what Ezra did. Now, I don't know if Ezra was able to sustain that, and that's the whole point. Even if the individual in that moment they were in were, were perfect in their generations, mm -hmm. you know, kind of like Noah. Mm -hmm. The King James describes Noah that way. It's not sustainable, though, in human dimension. And right. what's the proof? <laughs> we keep cycling back around. We are getting ready to go into exile. I, I really believe that. I don't know if it's Russia. I don't know if it's China. I don't know if it's Iran. It'll probably be more insidious. It'll be us. We're going to do the same thing they did. You know, we're going to marry, and it's not, again, it's not gender stuff. I, I'm glad I, God led me to say all that at the front end because it's not a woman thing and it's not a man thing. All those things, although I must say, all those articles I was reading was all about men. <laughs> that, that's true. Does that surprise you? No, but right. it's true. Right. But it's not a gender thing. Right. So it wasn't that it was the women of the land. It was that marrying things of the world. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, fortunately, unfortunately, however you see it, the Word of God tends to be much more gender-focused, mm -hmm. at least speaking to the masculine dimension. Mm -hmm. So you could argue that point. You know, maybe that's kind of historically something, but maybe not for the present. I don't know. I, I still think there's a reason and purpose in that, but that's for another podcast and the broadcast. I agree. But Ezra, in the moment he humbled himself, he could be no closer to God than the moment I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Is it enough just to ask for forgiveness? No, because I have to then have the power of the Holy Spirit and Jesus helping me. Mm -hmm. But it's no different. Every act of repentance, penitence, uh, every act of contrition, being contrite, uh, acknowledging sin, seeking correction, and therein as you would get the answer, ask for it, and God would give you the answer, then actually being cleansed and changed. The process. All of that mm -hmm. starts with that. Mm -hmm. But the minute you start that, it's a guarantee you're saved. Mm -hmm. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to stay that in the flesh. Right. And it really doesn't even mean that your flesh is going to be saved if you don't know Jesus or your human dimension of your soul. But it, it does mean, though, that even if you don't know Jesus or God, don't go doing things of the world. Mm -hmm. That's where we are headed. 
And, and I'm glad that there's at least half, it seems like, if you believe the statistics, of people who tend to lean a little bit more toward biblical Christian. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the percentage are. I think there's a, a larger number that profess Christianity, but I'm not sure that they really understand it in the United States. But I do know this. Uh, it isn't the end, but the end's coming. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's going to come. I don't know if it's going to be the second coming of Jesus or the United States is just going to... It, we're going to go the Implode. same. <laughs> we're going to go the same way. Mm-hmm. And, and that's cultural. That's as a nation. That's political. That's got all that to do with... I wrote all the king's names down. Cyrus, Darius, Asuerus, Artaxerxes, all of these kings that otherwise God was moving upon Mm -hmm. to allow that restoration Mm -hmm. to occur in a material sort of dimension. And with that, not only Ezra but Nehemiah, it continued in the book of Nehemiah where they continued the people of that area, the other peoples, the lands around or surrounding, kept trying to interfere Mm -hmm. and... um, Again, <laughs> created trouble and labeled the Sin Hebrew boys. people the troublemakers, <laughs> but they were as much troublemakers themselves. But, but all I'm trying to say, though, is, is that we may go through a few more cycles, but the cycles are no different than on an individual level unless you get Jesus. Mm-hmm. And unless you understand this premise. Your salvation comes from your virtue, but your virtue comes from being able to ask for it from God and to recognize how really not virtuous you are. Humility. I asked you that question because somebody asked me that question. And so I, I was curious um, how that would unfold. But I totally agree with you in, in this thing about, you know, we're heading that direction. It made me think we're wanting to flirt with danger, but then we don't want to get burnt. But we keep heading that direction. It's almost like, well, let's, let's, um, let's, you know, not just meet up for coffee. Let's have a date. You know, it's like, no, we don't want to go to that person. But we just keep getting drawn and drawn closer and closer. And, and that's just headed for disaster. Well, denying that then that there is a God, as our logic model has been on the broadcast podcast mm-hmm. today, then really is denying there is such a thing as righteousness. And with that, then you're searing or you're mm-hmm. grieving right. that conscience, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. that God conscience, and then as I mentioned, consciousness, some level of awareness that we still seem to possess, that whole part of us that God has given to convict us. I think it's all Holy Spirit mm-hmm. stuff. Right. But but to convict us when mm-hmm. we know we're wrong mm-hmm. and we're still seeking. But you'll get to a point where you're hard in your hearts. Right. You'll get to a point where you'll grieve the Holy Spirit so much. People don't believe in God. They don't believe in love. They don't, they, they don't because is love then God? Yes, God is love. That's what the Bible says. Is love then virtuous? Yes. Is love then virtuous? Then if we, as we said again, the Holy Spirit and virtue are one and the same, then the fruit of the Spirit is love. The Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- this stuff is sound. I mean, th- there is, if you understand the Bible, the message, you bother to read it. If you just bother to read it, there is no argument that I can come up with. I can't, I can't, I've never read one. I can't conceive of any point that God doesn't have an answer to. Mm-hmm. 
Right. When it comes to any shred, any small measure or portion of doubt that the devil either may exploit in me or maybe even try to plant in me, the only way that that works is denial. Mm-hmm. And that's what you were saying earlier. When you deny righteousness, you deny God. When you deny righteousness and God or God and righteousness, and you deny Jesus and you deny love. And if you start to deny love, then we're all those things that I said we are in our human dimension, absent God. Mm-hmm. Liars, cheats, and thieves. I mean, you can use clinical terms like narcissism and sociopathy and I guess gaslighting. I don't know if it's a clinical term, but people seem to almost use it nowadays in some clinical it's a con- yeah, context. Well, stonewalling, yeah. all that stuff. Well, because, <laughs> and I find it humorous because it's it's everywhere. It's in our culture. We want to we want to sound like we know things. You know, we we use these terms that maybe people only certain people or professionals used, and now people throw around these phrases as if they know everything. And that that just to me is another indicator of our society where we've come to where we know we don't need you to tell us. We know what's going on. You know, we're speculating, but uh, really we're pretending like we know, and we don't. But for some reason, that empowers us. That makes us feel good without the Holy Spirit and without the Holy Spirit without God that that void we'll fill it any way we can and if we fill it with uh, you know our own virtue then so be it we will well and if I'm the purveyor I used that word earlier I don't know if that's a good one to describe God it doesn't sound good <laughs> doesn't sound honorable enough but if I'm righteousness and I want to preserve that position of power and authority over you, then you can't be righteous. But if you want to take that from me, then what you'll start to do is use my terms, if you've Mm -hmm. given me all the power, whether that's secular or within a more, um, I want to say priestly, uh, a more spiritual sort of dimension, pastoral, Mm -hmm. it's still the same. If it's not God, then it's the man or the woman or the person. And with that, they're going to be protective of those things and covetous. I think it's interesting, again, for another podcast. We're going to take a break so we can get our guests on. We do have a guest today, by the way. And I, I understand because as even as Ezra made this prayer and the distinction of right versus wrong, when the people of the land came to them initially, whether they were going to trick them or not, if it was all part of a ploy, we'll help you. We want to. The first reaction was, "No, leave us alone. <laughs> we don't want your we help." Yeah, we got it covered. <laughs> We're good. But, but see, isn't that the same thing about stealing? I mean, the devil—that's all he knows how to do—is mm-hmm. he seduces. He takes a word and then he claims it as his own and he uses it in a manipulative. He steals it. He steals the power and the authority. But if man and woman, if humans, are the only ones that give that power, even the decrees of the king, I mean, they were successful at stalling it a bit. They couldn't stop it. Mm-hmm. But the people of that area that surrounded Israel, the promised land, were able to stall it for a while, the, the rebuilding, or at least they, in a political sort of way, mm-hmm. got Darius to say, stop, mm-hmm. until they had to go back through the records, the annals, is that yes. it? Mm-hmm. And find the actual decree mm-hmm. uh, from Cyrus. But this whole idea, though, is if it's human, and it's worthless. It's like, folks, it's money. It's like money. It's like cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. It's worthless. 
It is really only as good as the person, but if the person doesn't say, in God we trust, or doesn't, that's why right. this was on our money. Right. Because we all knew there was a day and a time when we weren't in such denial. We weren't virtue signaling so much. We weren't trying to find the answer in human dimensions. We weren't so dismissive of God. Mm-hmm. But we understood. The only credibility I have is not mine. It's my ability to be convicted of through the Word, by God, through the Holy Spirit, and my aspiration to emulate anything is Jesus. Mm -hmm. Why do I want to be a political figure? I don't want to be a Chaldean. Although I could claim that maybe as my heritage, but you know, we talked about that a couple podcasts ago, last podcast. You know, sometimes you have to walk away from the land of the Chaldeans, your family, because you know they're not, but you have to. Mm-hmm. The change begins with us, and we have to humble ourselves before God so that His heart, Ezra's heart, was prepared. Mm-hmm. Totally. Before he even got to the promised land again, left. Babylon, his heart was prepared. Mm-hmm. I just I think about some of the lost family members I have and how God just changed my heart towards them. And in the beginning, I was really focused. I was, you know, I had a goal. I was going to preach to them and witness to them, and they were going to get saved. And I had it all figured out, I guess. I was, you know, speculating as to their heart, like I could see it. And when I started becoming aware, we talked about awareness of my own position and where I was at in the cycle of being, um, going to God, walking away from God, going to God, you know, just like an Israelite. And the more aware I became of my own situation, the, oddly enough, which is not odd, it's, it's God and the Holy Spirit, but our relationship changed drastically. And she even commented to me that she felt like that I wasn't as judgmental as some of those other Christian types are. And it just dawned on me that, you know, God had changed me. So therefore, my relationship, how I was treating her was different. And it kind of made me sad a little bit because I looked back and realized I was just being self-righteous and and virtue signaling to her but you know now I can see that the change in me caused her to recognize that and now she's more open to the possibility of God she doesn't believe in God but now she's more open to that possibility because of that change but it goes back to what we said earlier you do that out of Christ in you you do that out of the word of God in you the Holy Spirit rather than yourself so you're not a hypocrite and I'm okay with that I mean you know you go and you earn a degree or you go and you get a certificate and you know you want to tell the world about it because it seems like it matters but in the end it really doesn't Right? We said that before. What am I, chopped liver? Well, maybe. But the idea, though, is that no degree, no doctorate in ministry, nothing like that is going to make me anything. Only God. And only then God, because I am willing to allow Him. But when I do that, then I'm not threatened by the people around me. Mm-hmm. When I do that, I am not inclined to see everything as the proverbial nail and I've got the hammer and I've got to drive the nail. Mm -hmm. I don't do that. Mm -hmm. That's what killed Jesus, by the way, hammers and nails. People don't need to be judged by us. Mm -hmm. 
But we need to be judged by God. And we need to do that inside of ourselves. And then we need to live the life of virtue, not just signal it. Otherwise, we're just icons, images. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And we need to do that authentically and genuinely. Yes. Yes. And they'll see I am it. chief amongst sinners. And they'll see that like she did. They'll see the change. And then they will be able to um, tell the difference. So we're going to take a moment to regroup actually to kind of take a break, catch your breath. And then we're going to be back with a guest. But I'm not going to tell you who the guest is for our listeners. I'm wanting to keep you in suspense. But we'll be back, I promise. Okay, we are back. I want to remind our listeners who are listening to Covenants uh, with Dr. Michael David Clay and Carolyn Barnett. And hopefully, Carolyn, they've been in suspense every second. I know. And it only took a second. <laughs> we, we took a little bit longer break, but for broadcast, it's only a second or two. We're back. But we have a guest. Kendra Ross, who is the Director of Classical Conversations, the Barbersville Director of Classical Conversations. And uh, we had a guest on, I think it was about two podcasts, two broadcasts ago. And uh, Kendra, I need to apologize. You could you can either tell you if I forgive it or not here in a minute. We were wanting to have you on last broadcast, yes. but a podcast, but unfortunately we had all kinds of stuff going on on our end, which had nothing to do with you that preempted that. But we know a little bit, our listeners know a little bit about classical conversations, and so I thought in the little bit of time that we have left on the, the broadcast podcast today to just allow you to kind of tell our listeners a bit about you, uh, classical conversations, and uh, why it is that you felt like that you should come on the broadcast, the podcast today. Okay, thank you so much. Um, like you said, my name is Kendra Ross, and I am the director of Classical Conversations in Barbersville, West Virginia. Uh, I am a homeschool mom of 10 years now, and this is my first year of directing this campus, or any campus, I guess that, <laughs> I guess that goes with that. Um, as the director, I am committed to mentoring homeschooling families that are in my program. Classical Conversations has provided me with continual training and proper resources to equip local families to know God and make Him known. So you wonder, what is Classical Conversations? Well, it was founded in 1997 by Lee Wartons, who was a former Astro Space Engineer before becoming a homeschooling mom. Currently, the the corporation, Classical Conversations, is ran by her son, Robert Bortons. Classical Conversations is in 51 countries now, so praise God for that. And it is, the curriculum is in five different languages, so we are able to reach families all over the world so that they can know God and make Him known. How important that is, and especially in this day and time. So like I said, our mission is to know God and make Him known, which extends throughout the organization to assist parents in successful supporting them as they navigate homeschooling from kindergarten all the way through college credits. Our Christ-centered curriculum is what classical conversation is rooted in the classical model and in tune with the way that children learn naturally. We give parents the consistent academic standard and model of education. CC encourages families to always be ready with an answer to why they love Jesus, our Lord and Savior. As, as we read in our Bibles in 1 Peter 3.15, 
but sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That's what we want to get out of this is to raise a generation of children that can know God and make him known and not be ashamed and know how to do it the way God would be pleased with. Um, because classical conversations, decades of Christ-centered expertise, you and your child benefit from a type of comprehensive education that create a bright, observant student who has a lifelong love for learning. Because true education is the pursuit of truth, truth is in one person, and that is Jesus Christ. So you might wonder, what's the difference between classical education and modern education? I'll try to give you just a brief sum up of the difference. The, uh, the, model, the model example illustration that I'm going to use here for modern education versus classical is modern education teaches us to individualize subjects as if they are planets. So on the contrary, classical education views each subject or planet, if you will, in the context of its galaxy. Recognizing the effect of a single planet's gravitational pull has on the orbit of another planet. So each planet is locked into the sun as its subject, which is the connector to the creator. So that's a little bit of the difference between the two. Um, we also, the trivium of classical education recognizes that we all learn things by three distinct arts, grammar, dialectic, and rhetoric. Some of you may have heard those terms, some of you may have not, so I'll break them down just in a quick sum up. So grammar helps you learn the words and basic facts. Dialectic trains you to sort, understand, and practice those facts. And rhetoric, that prepares you to teach someone else, write an original essay, or solve problems. We are, we, are a homeschooling program that teaches the students how to think, not what to think. So you can apply these tools to anything that you go at in life. Mm -hmm. God has entrusted you as parents with your children. Along the way, society has changed to modern education. Just because society has changed, it doesn't mean that God's original design for education should have changed. So train up a child in the way that you should go. It takes us back to that scripture. Well, what I love, if I could say it that way, is that it's all founded on word. And and I and I'll make the I'll emphasize the distinction you make, which is you don't have to use the Bible for this to be useful. You don't have to use scripture for this to be useful. Now, it's hard for me to imagine anybody's listening to the radio or the podcast that wouldn't either be at least somewhat friendly to the Bible or a devout Christian or some, somewhere between. But the idea, though, is that homeschooling is an alternative to a lot of things that are going on in terms of the way that we view the world, not only in terms of, you know, like maybe perspective or paradigm uh, model, but I don't know that it teaches people to 
be able to do these basic sort of analytics. You know, use your brain, right. use your word, mm-hmm. apply it. It really is a science, yes. you know, in its truest sense, how to go about doing that. And so the schools, I don't know, are really, I don't think they're really arming or preparing students. Mm-hmm. I think they're just kind of feeding them a bunch of propaganda and telling them it's the truth, but they're really not understanding the, the analytics of those three different dimensions of word. Right. Um, not bashing the public school or modern education because it is it has been helpful. Um, some people have to work. Both pa- both parents have to work, and they don't have an option. Um, so I definitely don't want to bash that. But it puts you into a cookie cutter press that is one size fits all, and as we know, that does not apply with anything else in life. So why do we try to force that to apply to? educating our children. So where was it along the way that you decided this was the right thing for you? Through much prayer. um, I just asked God to lead and guide my heart and my husband's as well. And we lined up with, we're definitely going to homeschool. We felt the calling from God. It was definitely a God thing. Um, And then with classical conversations, that came along about six to eight months after we had begun the homeschooling journey. Um, It was through friends, through mutual friends. Mm -hmm. We just kind of learned about it, and we realized this is definitely for us. This fits. So I'm sure that somebody out there is thinking, you know, maybe. I might be interested, or God's moved upon their heart in that way that you testified that He moved upon yours and your husband's. And they're thinking, but I don't know where to get started. I mean, I maybe I got friends that do some homeschooling, maybe I don't, maybe I just don't. That's why you're here, though, right? Is to encourage people who may, I don't know where to start, maybe asking themselves or others that question, because they can reach out to you, right? Yes. Yes. And classical conversations, I'm sure you have a social media presence or you have some sort of uh, website that they can go to. Yes. Uh, The easiest way to find me or other campuses in your area is to visit the website at www.classicalconversations.com and you can search for a campus near you and it will give you all the information you need to find the campus. I have a question, Kendra. Okay, so um, I don't want to take up too much time here, but I'm just curious. I have a new grandson, and he's going to be two, and I'm familiar with classical conversations, but more importantly, I'm familiar with the classical model. Um, So I worked in a um, classical education school for five years. So, yes, so I, when you mentioned the three levels, I, I knew that. So, how does one, or is there a way to be involved? What if your kids are grown up? What if you don't have kids in K-12 through anymore? Is there a way to be involved with classical conversations? If you, so you're not a homeschooling mom, but is there a way that, do you have volunteers? Is there a way to be involved with that? That's a great question. Um, yes. We, we're always looking for an extra hand. Um, so there's different things on campus that would be beneficial to the community with a volunteer of that nature. And so the answer to that would be yes, you definitely can. Um, through helping with the children that are not of age to be in class yet, or helping with the children in the afternoon when their siblings are in the, 
the um, dialectic stage, which we call essentials, which would be more like 9 to 12 year olds. They have an afternoon class where the littles don't. Um, that would be also a great help mm. to the campus. Well, I just feel like there's too many people that have something to contribute. Absolutely. And to sit back and, and not do anything or just, well, my time is, you know, I did my time, you know. Right, right. Um, but uh, fortunately, or, or I guess hopefully it'd be fortunately, I don't feel that way. And uh, I dug out, <laughs> you're going to laugh at me, David. I dug out, I was cleaning through drawers. And I kept it, even though it was a third grade paper, third grade. And this is this is where I find myself, but it was the third grade classic challenge, <laughs> which just you know appeals to me just the title um, because I love to read. I'm a former librarian too, so you know books are like in my blood. You know, well, so it's a list of books, and it's all classic books that the third graders were supposed to read. And I took a copy for myself because I thought, you know, have I read all these books? Have, do, am I? you know, up on all the classics. And I found that paper yesterday and it just, I don't know, it just brought back something that, you know, that lifelong love of learning. Absolutely. And you can, you can laugh at me now, David, I'm a nerd. I, you know, yeah. I just, I love that. And I wanted that for my children. And so I sort of, even though they did go to public school mm -hmm. and that was not really a choice I wanted to make, but it's kind of a choice I had to make. Right. And so uh, I, tried my best to incorporate that as well as I could, but, you know, my question obviously was um, a little personal, but I just, I wanted to kind of ask that. Yeah, know. I mean, a great example of what you just said is that's what we're trying to do with our children. We're trying to cultivate that love for learning mm -hmm. to where it's not just they did their time. They, they did, you know, their 12, 13, 14, whatever years of school, they have a degree now or they don't, whatever the case may be. Um, but we want to instill that love of learning, not only for the classics, like you mentioned, mm -hmm. but also for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right. Mean, we want them to know how to dig in the Word. We want them to be able to come to their own conclusions with things and not just follow along with what they've been told. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So we want to thank Kendra, you, for coming on the podcast, the broadcast today. And, and again, just on a personal sort of basis, I want to encourage our listeners to, uh, if they can, if they're interested, to actually go to the website, uh, classicalconversations.com. And uh, certainly as much, Kendra, uh, there's so much more that we could talk about. We're going to have you back on the podcast. Uh, we're going to take another quick break, and then we'll be back with also a quick closing. All right, we are back. I want to remind our listeners, you're listening to Covenants, co-sponsored by the Word House Incorporated, Focus Consultation Services, Covenant Specialized Pastoral Care Services, Christian Counseling Ministry. I'm Michael David Clay, Dr. Michael David Clay, and Carolyn Barnett. Carolyn, how do they get a hold of us? They can go to our Facebook page and look up Covenants, or you can give us a call, 384-528-9220. That'd be the easiest way. Or send us an email, covenants.llc1 at yahoo.com. Again, we really appreciate you, the listener, whether it's podcast or broadcast, picking it up maybe on our Facebook page. Uh, would want to invite you back to our next uh, broadcast 
uh, which would be on WEMM in approximately a week. And of course, you can get us on podcasts anytime you want to your convenience. Again, we just thank you for being part of our listening audience. Once more, you're listening to Covenants. Uh, Join us again soon.